Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. satisfied with bread. Here we have sloth and industry contrasted. If you don't pay attention, you will come to poverty. And if you are diligent and observant, you will be satisfied with bread. And this is pretty obvious, right? Anybody with two eyes in their head can see this, right? Well, apparently not. There are those who will close their eyes until their hungry belly drives them to wake up. This isn't because the truth is so obscure. On the contrary, it is obvious. The reason this needs to be a proverb is because our hearts are so dark. Because of the fall, work is hard. But even if God gives us joy in our work and we enjoy our work, the temptation to laziness or procrastination or sleep remains nonetheless. The wise man won't succumb to these temptations because of this warning. Instead, he will wake up, work hard, and enjoy the fruits of his labor. He will be satisfied with bread. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so please kneel as you're able. story of a lame man who begged for alms outside the temple gate. Peter and John meet him and God used them to perform a great miracle restoring this man's legs to him. When he rejoices because of this great work, a crowd gathers and Peter starts his second sermon in the book of Acts. In the last couple of weeks we saw the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And we saw the gospel preached with the astounding effect of drawing 3,000 men to the church in one day. The new community of believers were characterized by unity and peace, praise and joy, having favor with all the people. And moreover, at the end of chapter 2, where the church is being described, we read that fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the, apostles, through the apostles. So why is this particular lame man singled out? Why is his story told and the other wonders and signs are left out of the story? The reason is because God used this miracle for the furtherance of the gospel. He used all of the miracles for the furtherance of the gospel, but this miracle in particular has to do with the story of the book of Acts. Remember at the beginning of Acts, Jesus told the apostles that they would be witnesses to him in Jerusalem and in Judea, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Their witness started at Pentecost. 
The Holy Spirit came upon them in their house, and thousands became believers in Jerusalem. So far in Acts, we have seen power and blessing and the spread of the good news. Peter preached repentance and forgiveness of sins. He did not pull back or water down, but convicted, and the message of Pentecost was received warmly and was powerful and fruitful. But this lame man and this miracle are the means by which that gospel first comes into conflict with the powers that be, the priests, the elders, and the Sadducees. This week we will see God's work in this miracle and the power of faith, but next week we'll see how this miracle got Peter and John arrested. And this is vital to the story of the Acts of the Apostles. The overarching story here is one of their witness, first going to the Jews and then to the ends of the earth. But it is driven by conflict. Remember, Jesus came to bring a sword and to bring fire. His winnowing fan is, fan is in his hand. Whenever the enemies of God attack, God uses their actions for the establishment of his kingdom. It started in Jesus Christ in the Passion Week and at the cross. But if we want salvation, we must take up our cross and follow him, just like the apostles did. And here's where it starts for the apostles, Acts 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who were entered the temple. The ninth hour was the hour of the evening sacrifice, about three o'clock in the afternoon. This was also the time of the daily sacrifice and the burning of the incense on the altar, which was the symbolic, which was symbolic of prayer, and thus faithful Jews would go, go to the temple and pray at this hour. The beautiful gate was probably the Nicanor Gate, is how, it's, how, how we know it now in history, at the east side of the temple complex. It was larger than the other gates and it was made entirely of Corinthian brass. It was the main entrance to the first section of the temple, the court of the Gentiles, and it had a high volume of traffic, which is why beggars would go there and seek alms from the pious. Continuing on. So they laid the, the layman to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So we start with the layman and his need for a miracle. Peter and John were on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer. This was an overlapping of eras. The resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ, did not end the Christians, the new Christians' attachment to the temple. When Jesus came, he came to bring about a new covenant, but he does not abolish the old one, he fulfills it. The temple and the sacrifices and the old covenant system all pointed to Jesus. They were types of salvation. Jesus is the real thing. He is the antitype of all of the types in the Old Testament. The New Testament Jewish converts to Christianity could still 
use their familiar customs, the temple, the sacrifices, their feast days, etc., to worship God. They just saw clearly that it was all pointing to Jesus rather than getting caught up in the hypocrisy and emptiness of false worship, trying to earn their salvation. This is evident in the, in the stories of the early church. At Pentecost, when the new converts accepted Jesus as the promised Messiah of the scriptures, they continued daily with one accord, where? In the temple. Likewise here, Peter and John head to the temple. The apostles were Jews, Jesus was an Israelite, and the good news, the gospel, is fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures, as Peter attested in his sermon. And more on that in a little bit. Anyways, in the years between the resurrection in AD 30 and the destruction of the temple in AD 70, the old and new covenant eras overlapped. This period is also very much a New Testament exodus. God is calling his people out of slavery. Out of slavery to sin, out of slavery to the law, and out of slavery to false gods. In these 40 years, like in the Exodus, we see many examples of miracles and wonders. In the Exodus, manna falls, water comes from the rock, meat comes from the sky, and in this period, lame men walk, dead are raised, sick are healed, and demons are cast out. God is powerful, and he is communicating his power in a new way on the earth. He's interested in proving his work in the world, in his people. He's backing up the gospel of Jesus Christ and Pentecost. In these miracles, God is backing up his people's witness of him. So Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. And they encounter a lame man. One thing that the Old Testament makes abundantly clear is that the gospel is for the humble and the downtrodden, the downcast. All through the scriptures, whenever pride and arrogance abound, judgment is just around the corner. The Old Testament says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The promise of the covenant is and always has been for the humble and meek. God brings good news to the barren woman. Abram and Sarai receive a child in their old age. The Israelites are called out when they're slaves in Egypt. David is the youngest son of Jesse and only a boy when he receives the anointing. And subsequently, when Israel is called out and God makes them into a great nation, they are punished and scattered when their pride and idolatry lead them astray. But the promises of the prophets are for a savior and redeemer who will bring grace to the humble. Suffering has a way of bringing you down a notch or two. This lame man, his congenital disease had left him at the feet of everybody around him. The world passed him by daily and he was forced to beg for his food. But Peter and John see his need. And by the Spirit, they can do nothing less than give him good news, the gospel. Then Peter said, starting in verse 6, 
Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Here we see the power of the Spirit in Peter and John. The gospel brings salvation. And salvation doesn't look like what we, what we expect. This lame man was not looking for healing. He just wanted some money for food and security. He wouldn't have dared to dream of what Peter offers and gives to him. In this, all men are alike. Our God is much bigger than we think or imagine. His promises are greater than we think. Could the disciples have imagined the extent to which the gospel would spread or overcome the world? No. Their, their question to Jesus was, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They had belief. They could believe the promises of Jesus and the person of Jesus, but the power of his spirit and, and his work in the world was more than they imagined, the extent to which the gospel would take dominion. Could Martin Luther have imagined what might have become of his 95 theses that he had pinned on the door? Not likely. He simply believed the Bible and witnessed what he believed the truth was, but he set Western civilization on fire and he initiated the Reformation. We don't believe, and thus we don't ask, and thus we don't receive. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 21. He says, whatever things you ask in prayer believing, you will receive. But here is some good news, though. The Christian life is a journey. We don't have to get it. We don't have to see the grand picture. We don't have to know exactly what heaven is like or what the, the kingdom of God will look like in the earth when God's done with it in order to do the right thing. We just need to look to Jesus and put one foot in front of the other. God does the work in us. He uses finite and weak and impotent men to accomplish His great work. Even though our minds are small and closed and our imaginations are limited, our God is not. And He does mighty things with small acts of faith. Nevertheless, prayer is powerful. We should pray big. And faith is powerful. Small acts of faith teach us to trust our God. Small acts of faith enable larger ones. We don't ask enough and we don't seek hard enough, yet we should believe what Jesus tells us about prayer in Luke 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and him who knocks it will be opened. No, salvation does not look like what we expect it to look like. It is always better and it, all, it is always deeper. The lame man received salvation because of his humility. And his new life took him with his new friends. 
he entered the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Solomon's porch was a colonnade in the temple complex. It was a, a row of columns. And it was in the court of the Gentiles and women. It was where anybody who professed Christ or professed Judaism, that they believed that, that the God of the Jews was the true God, could go to seek his blessing. Before the lame man was healed, he was on the outskirts of the temple. So close. So near to the very place where men were supposed to go to meet God and to seek peace and blessing. And he was unable to go in, unable to give anything, and completely at the mercy of others. And then a miracle happens, and he was suddenly able to walk. And what does he do? He walks in with them, giving praise to God. The irony here is that the lame man is a type of Israel. Israel's spiritual lameness was every bit as real as this poor man's physical lameness and his infirmity. They also were on the cusp of salvation. They had the scriptures. They had the temple. They had the promise. And the promised Messiah had been sent to them and to their generation. Figuratively, the nation of Israel is lying at the beautiful gate, the entrance to true fellowship with God. And it was literally at their doorstep in the witness and the person of the apostles and the Holy Spirit. Yet, without God's grace, they didn't know to ask for it. They couldn't find it. Like the lame man, they were asking for the wrong kind of salvation. They wanted a new king. They wanted an earthly, fleshly kingdom. They wanted relief from the rule of the Romans. And like the lame man, they were offered a new way of life, free from the burden of sin and the condemnation it brings. They were offered the very presence of God. They were offered the Holy Spirit in the gospel. The spirit in Peter and John was powerful, and it was infectious. It took the lame man by storm. He could do no less than walk and leap and praise God. He could do no less than hold on to Peter and John, the witnesses of the resurrection and the life. This miracle and this power was done in full view of the public. Peter and John's witness was strong, and moreover, the Spirit was still in him. So Peter, seeing a crowd forming, takes advantage of another opportunity to preach. And right in the outset, we see that Peter's humility and boldness go hand in hand. He is only a messenger, and that is part of his message. Verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us 
as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. In essence, Peter is saying, don't marvel at this and don't marvel at us. We aren't the powerful ones here. In fact, you should be expecting this. God has promised this in his scriptures. It is God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who, who gave power to Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' name and faith in him that has done this miracle. We, Peter and John, are only witnesses of what Jesus is doing and has done. Notice how this unites Peter's humility and boldness. He says, don't marvel at us. Don't look at us. That's humility. It's not me. We haven't done this. But it goes right hand in hand with... We are witnesses. We are witnesses. We proclaim something that is a truth that has been shown to us. And because we've seen what God has done, and because God has given himself to us in the person of his spirit, we can do no less than witness and speak clearly what God is doing, boldly. In the spirit, Peter can be nothing but bold and strong. However, he must also deflect any elevation of his person by witnessing Jesus. Don't glorify me, glorify Jesus. Next, we've already noted the Jewish nature of the new church. But here in Peter's sermon, he hits some very distinct chords in Israelite faith. First, he identifies the power as coming from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God of the Israelites. Jacob later became Israel. He's the father of the 12 tribes. This is how God identifies himself to Moses in the burning bush. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Second Peter speaks of God's servant, which is a reference to the servant Messiah passages found in Isaiah. And likewise, the Holy One and the just are references to the Messiah found in the Psalms and the prophets. All in all, Peter's sermon here is a declaration that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Jewish scriptures. And he has power to restore health. Faith in Jesus' name made this man strong and gave him perfect soundness. And this is given in the context of a powerful accusation against this people. The crowd comes. The crowd marvels. They, they, they see a great work is done. They've seen this lame man laying there tent, daily in the temple, every day, begging for alms, begging, unable to help himself. 
Since, since he was a boy, he was born with the inability to walk. And here, Peter and John come and publicly, by God's grace, heal him. And God starts working miracles in the midst of the public. And the people come, come and they look and they say, what is going on here? This, this isn't normal. This doesn't happen. What is going on here? Peter says, the scriptures are fulfilled. The Messiah has come. And you rejected the Messiah. You turned him over to Pilate. And when he sought to set him free, you asked for a murderer to be released instead of the Prince of Life. And then you killed him. This Jesus, the one who's doing this power right in your presence, you killed him. Jesus is the one who has power to make lame men walk. This Jesus God raised from the dead and he sent his spirit into his witnesses. We bear witness that he's raised from the dead. And that God's power is at work among us. And this is exciting stuff. This poor man can now leap and rejoice and praise God. The message of the gospel is good news. God, Jesus, restore perfect soundness to humanity. Here they had the temple. The Jews are always seeking to be in God's favor. They're always asking and beseeching God to give them their desires. Now God's given them himself. And he is fixing them. He's fixing their problems. Next week we're going to finish Peter's sermon and see how he goes from this damning indictment to an offer of free grace if they repent and convert. But for now, let's focus on the power of faith. Jesus makes whole. Jesus heals. He provides perfect soundness. He makes the rough places smooth. And he ultimately eradicates all evil, bringing justice and righteousness in, by, and with his kingdom. And his kingdom is a kingdom of grace. This lame man didn't deserve to be healed. Sinners don't deserve forgiveness. But God is in the business of saving a fallen world. He's all about a free gift of life and giving it abundantly. When he sends life, it is our duty to respond like this lame man does, with joy and gratitude, walking, leaping, and praising God. This lame man was given something that all of us mostly enjoy. It's a gift from God. We don't deserve the right to be able to walk around. We don't deserve the right to be able to see or to hear. We don't deserve the right to be able to breathe in and out. All of life is a gift from God. And viewed in the proper context, all of life is a cause for us to rejoice. To praise God. Because it's a gift. God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace because God sends grace and he does it in the public places. 
Jesus died in public, right on the hill next to Jerusalem, during the Passover when Jerusalem was full of people. Likewise, Jesus appeared to many disciples and witnesses publicly after the resurrection. This miracle took place in the temple, the busiest place in town, right at the main gate. And Peter's sermon takes place in Solomon's porch in the large courtyard of the temple. God is not sending salvation in a closet. He's sending his witnesses out to be light. God is no longer working behind closed doors, behind the veil in the Holy of Holies. Now his temple is in the hearts of men and his men are in the public streets. He speaks to men and through men directly by his Holy Spirit. We no longer need a priest to mediate between us and God. We have a priest. God gave himself to be our priest in Jesus Christ. And he applies himself to us by his Holy Spirit. The temple veil is rent. It happened during the crucifixion. And now the gospel goes out. This is a call to you to witness Jesus in your life, both public and private. Ask God for his spirit, believing, and he will give it to you. He will fill you with grace, love, and truth. Be his witness. Be his witness intentionally. As he fills you, you will overflow, and your love will be evident in the world. Israel is like the lame man, but so is our world. Unbelievers need salvation, but they don't know to ask for it. They can't imagine it, and they are content with counterfeit salvation. Just enough to get by, just enough to put food on the table tonight. A roof over my head tonight. But the gospel is a free gift. And it's ours to give. Don't be abashed to offer life, perfect soundness, and peace with God to the unbelievers you know. They need Him. They need life. Peter's witness is an example for us. He is humble and bold. He is God's messenger, and we need to emulate Him. We are Christians. We are Christ's ambassadors to a fallen world. And we are soldiers in the church militant. And humility is the path to salvation. First, we must confess our sin, our unworthiness, and our weakness to our God. But then, in our weakness, Christ is strong. The Spirit can use humble men to further His work in our world. And finally, the gospel must be proclaimed. The gospel is an indictment of sin. There is no room to be ashamed of that. Peter called the people murderers. But the gospel is also a gracious gift of life in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And there's power in that name. Good news of the remission of sins. Sins must be recognized, confessed, and repented of. But the result of death in the name of Jesus Christ is resurrection and a spirit-filled life of power. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Christ of Nazareth. Almost 2,000 years ago, that man lived and died, and God raised him from the dead. If we believe in his name and confess him before men, he promises life and salvation and resurrection from the dead. This meal here is a memorial of what he has done for us, but it is also a confession of our belief in his work. The grace he offers is real, and so is his life, the life of his spirit. This confession binds us to Jesus and him to us. When we eat this bread, Jesus feeds us. We are accepting the death he died on our behalf and giving up our old man and our old life of sin, nailing them to the cross. And when we drink this wine, we are filled with his grace, washed clean by his blood, remembering the sacrifice he paid for our debt, but also taking his life as ours, taking up our own crosses and determining to follow him wherever he may lead, be it to the cross or to death, but wherever that is, it is as his. We belong to him. And there is great peace and grace and life in that simple truth. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website. ChristKirkMI.com. That's C H R I S T K I R K M I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.